1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it's on the screen. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. One of the most fascinating studies in the word of the Lord is a study of the divine attributes of God. The divine attributes are those qualities which belong to God. Paul Ennis writes, he said, God's attributes are those distinguishing characteristics of the divine nature which are inseparable from the idea of God and which constitute the basis and ground for his various manifestations to his people. One of those attributes is the holiness of God. Our God is a holy God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. William Evans, one of the great scholars of yesteryear, says, If there's any difference in importance in the attributes of God, that of his holiness seems to occupy first place. It is the one attribute which God would have his people remember him more than any others. Our God is a holy God. The foremost characteristic of God revealed to Isaiah is his holiness, signifying his purity of character, his separation from sin, and his opposition to all that is evil. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, the seraphim, the angelic beings that fly around the throne of God, cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All of creation emphasizes and praises God's holiness. To be holy means to be separated from sin, unrighteousness. It means goodness, justice, and purity. I believe if there's anything our nation needs today is that we need holiness. We need people who are holy, separate from sin, separate from unrighteousness. And if ever there was a time we needed goodness, justice, and purity, it is today. Holiness is an eternal attribute of God. His holiness will never change. God is perfect and holy. Psalms 85, 13 says, Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Psalms 145, 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Throughout the Bible, there are numerous references to the holiness of God. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, God reveals his holiness and commands that his covenant people live holy in a world bound by sin and corruption. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 through 45, Moses recorded these words concerning sanctification. For I am the Lord your God, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, Moses writes in Leviticus 19 too, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. In the New Testament, this same command is repeated in our text that I read to you early in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, 
and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The King James Version says, in all your conversation. You could render it this way, in every part of your life. Because it is written, verse 16 says, be holy for I am holy. So God commands that every believer live a life of separation and holiness. To experience what we would define as sanctification means to be separated from sin and separated unto God. We cannot separate ourselves to God unless we separate ourselves from sin. When we embrace sanctification, we are dealing with the question of sin. And every believer will have a crisis where they have to deal with the struggle or the question of sin in their lives. The Apostle Paul wrote concerning this struggle in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, he says, certainly not. In the Greek, it would read this way. Away with such an idea. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I've come this morning not with a condemning message. I've come this morning not with a message of legalism. But I've come this morning with a message of hope. I've come with good news. But this morning I've come not to preach bad news. I've come to give you good news. Anybody need any good news today? The good news of the gospel is God not only forgives us our sin, but he makes provision through a work of grace called sanctification whereby we may live free from sin's dominion and bondage. You see, we are a Pentecostal spirit-filled people, but we are also a people who believe we're Wesleyan in our theology. We believe in the, the doctrine of sanctification, that second definite work of grace where we embrace it by faith and God comes in his infinite power and he allows us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live an overcoming life where we can see the penalty and the bondage of sin broken in our lives. One of the great privileges of my life was in the last time we were in London, Beth and I, we had the privilege of going to John Wesley's house. We went to his church. We saw the first little chapel that he had, and he has a, there's a magnificent church there. And there's his house. It's, a, it's like a row house, and it's about four or five stories, you know. And his library, his study, his, his bedroom, and all the things about it. And we were able to go and visit there. On our first visit to London, we just ran out of time. We couldn't get there. But one day when we were down at the London Museum, we happened up on what's called Aldersgate, which was one of the gates into the city of London. And it was there at Aldersgate that John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And we believe that was a, an experience of sanctification in his life. You see, Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. So this morning, I want to talk to you about a very neglected and sometimes controversial subject in the 21st century church. The term holiness has been abused and misunderstood. To many people, when you speak about holiness, they have images of legalism, rules, and regulations. This morning, I want to talk not about rules and regulations, but I want to talk about the beauty of holiness. The joy you realize through a holy and a sanctified life. In Luke chapter 24, verse 50 through 53... 
Before Jesus ascends to heaven, listen to what he does. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed him. Now it came to pass while he blessed him that he was parted from them and carried them up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. We believe this is where those who were in the upper room, really more than that, experience, had an experience of sanctification. Listen, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And this is the first time that we ever find the apostles with great joy when the Lord touches you when the Lord draws you into a closer communion with him let me tell you it will produce great joy in your life I think that's missing in the church today most of us are battling the enemy most of us have life coming at us most of us have struggles and trials and we're contending for lost loved ones and rebellious children and grandchildren and sickness in our in our families and financial issues and health issues and we contend for that but I want to tell you today that we need the joy of the Lord once again because Nehemiah 8:10 says the joy of the Lord is my strength well pastor just as soon as I can start drawing my social security I'll have joy No, you won't because you'll look at that check and it won't be quick near enough that you need. Amen. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. Happiness has to do with your circumstances. Joy comes out of your relationship with the Lord. He lifted his hands and blessed them and they had great joy. May the Lord just lift his hands over this congregation today and bless us. And may we leave here with great joy. Now, how do you know they had great joy? Because they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. That's the key to keeping your joy. This morning, I want to look at the need of sanctification, the means of sanctification, and the power of sanctification. So let's look at it. Why do we need to embrace holiness? And understand that the words sanctification and holiness are synonymous terms. They mean one and the same. Because the word of God reveals in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. The Bible says it is God's will that every believer experience sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. The Webster's Dictionary defines sanctification as to make sacred or holy, to set apart to a holy or a religious use, to consecrate by appropriate rites, to hallow, to make free from sin, to cleanse from moral corruption and pollution, to purify. One commentary defines sanctification as follows, to make holy, to consecrate, to be separate from the world, to be set apart from sin, in order that we may have close fellowship with God and serve Him. Sanctification is a work of grace subsequent to salvation where God deals with the sinful nature of man. See, you're born with a nature to sin. Nobody had to teach you how to disobey. We came here with that nature. Some folks say, I don't know why them people act that way. Why do folks do that? Because they're just doing what's in their nature. But thank God when we come to Jesus, the Bible said old things pass away, all things become new. We take on the divine nature. But we need to embrace this work of grace by faith so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to break the power of sin over our lives. He who the Son sets free is... We're called to holiness. Ephesians 4.24 that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's one important thing God requires of his people throughout both the Old and the New Testament. That one thing is holiness. God requires his people to live a separated life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God never requires us to do something that he doesn't give us the empowerment to do. Now, God didn't put that in the Bible just to fill up space. We need a little space here. 
No, he put that in the word because he wants his people to be a separated people. Not separated that means we're strange, but separated unto him. See, Israel never got it. They never understood their destiny. They were a people separated, but he never meant for them to separate themselves out from the world. He meant for them to be priests and witnesses of the one true God to the world. God never meant to exclude the Gentiles. God always meant for the Gentiles to be grafted in and to be brought in. But Israel never forgot. He gave us a commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. Discipling the nations. People say to me, Pastor, I don't understand why you have such a heart for the nations. Because it's part of the Great Commission. But the Great Commission has become the Great Omission. You see, all of us were born with a sinful nature. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 8, 5 says this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He continues in verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In this passage of scripture, Paul identifies two classes of people. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. Donald Stamps writes, he said, to live after the flesh, the sinful element of human nature is to desire, take pleasure in, be occupied with, and gratify the corrupt desires of sinful human nature. The sinful nature is defined by several different names in the word of God. It's called the flesh. The old man of sin, the body of sin, and the carnal man. In Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We need to experience sanctification because you cannot flow, follow the flesh and the spirit at the same time. If anyone fails to resist by the spirit his or her sinful desires and instead lives according to the flesh, he becomes an enemy of God and can expect spiritual and eternal death. That's why sanctification is necessary because God desires for you and I to be totally free from the dominion and the bondage of sin. Listen to me, sin enslaves. Sin brings us into bondage. But Jesus died so we could be liberated. Jesus didn't go to the cross so we could just barely get along and go along and hopefully, you know, get a little cabin over in glory one day. No, he died so you could be free. So you could live free from the desire and the dominion of sin. How many of you want all that God has for you? Say amen. So let's look at the provision. There's a need. But let's look at the provision. God commands we live holy. He does not only he command holiness. But he makes provision in his word. For you and me to experience this magnificent work of grace. We learn from the study of scriptures. That man has a sinful carnal nature. This carnal nature is an enemy to God. And this can be defined as the self life. It is the root of all sin. Self Self-willed, selfishness, self. It is the root of all sin. How selfish we are. See, that's the root of sin, self. And it's throughout our whole society. It's throughout our lives. And what sanctification does is it comes to deal with that self-life, that selfishness, that self-preservation. Am I preaching okay? Mankind sins because mankind is born into sin. And when we experience salvation, we receive God's forgiveness and we're justified in his sight but as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of him we come to a crisis what is the crisis it's the sin question am i going to continue to live in my sins am i going to continue to live in carnality and give in to the sinful desires of my flesh sanctification is a work of grace you say well is it instantaneous or is it progressive it's both but there's a place where i embrace it provision is made therefore i embrace it by faith 
In the New Testament, sanctification is not seen as a slow process of forsaking sin little by little. Rather, it is presented as a definite act by which the believer by grace is freed from Satan's bondage and makes a clear break with sin in order to live under God. There is a crisis whereby we must embrace this work of grace by faith. It is putting to death the old man. It is a crucifixion of the flesh. Romans 6.11, likewise, you also reckon. That word reckon there is where we get the word reconcile. It means to consider, to count yourselves, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. By faith, I embrace that. You say in your word, Lord, that it is possible for me to be dead to sin. By faith I do that. I'm dead to sin, but sin's not dead to me, and I can awaken it at any moment by succumbing to temptation. But how many of you know there's power to overcome through the name of Jesus? Amen. Sanctification is not absolute perfection. An ethical righteousness of unblemished character demonstrated in purity before God, obedience to his word, blamelessness before the world. I'm not perfect. When I embrace sanctification, it does not mean that I will never be tempted again. You're going to have temptations and trials. You're going to have struggles. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I love 1 John chapter 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. The ideal is not to sin. But listen, he put this in. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. That means you have an attorney in heaven. And you have attorney-client privileges. Come on, somebody. The enemy will try to stir up your old past, but you have attorney-client privileges. You have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, and if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Can I make this practical? If you do something, you know it's disobedient. There are willful sins, and then there are sins of ignorance at times. There are times when we say something, and before it gets off of our lips, Good, we're trying to draw it back. And if we go to God and we have that in our, in our life, there'll be a heaviness that'll be there. You'll feel it. You'll know I've got to get this straightened out. And you, there'll be a heaviness there. But the moment I give it to God and say, Lord, I repent. And look, repentance is not a one-time thing. I do it at the altar and then sign the paper and say, I joined the church. I'm good. Repentance is a lifestyle. And the moment I give it to God, that heaviness will lift. Fellowship will be restored. How do we live free from the tyranny and the bondage of sin? How do we overcome temptation? Acts 26, 18. God's children achieve sanctification by faith. In John 15, 4 through 10, we experience sanctification by union with Christ in his death and resurrection. In John 17, 17, we're sanctified by the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I found this quote in some old notes. I'm not sure of the source, but it was so good I wanted to share it. Sanctification is both a work of God and a work of his people. In order to accomplish God's will and sanctification, believers must respond to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit by ceasing to do evil, cleansing themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, and keeping themselves unspotted from the world. Sanctification is available to every believer so we can be free from the dominion and the slavery of sin. Noel Brooks, one of the great Pentecostal scholars of yesteryear, writes in his book, Bible validation for sanctification. He says there are five steps to receiving sanctification. Number one, we must consent to it. To consent is more than assent. If you talk to people today, a lot of people say, well, I believe in Jesus. But when it says he that believes, it's not meaning just a mental assent. Well, yeah, I think Jesus is up there somewhere. That word believe is, is a Greek word, and it really means to commit with all your heart. 
If you really believe in something, you'll commit to it. To consent is more than assent. I assent with my mind, but I consent with my heart and my will. We must open our hearts to receive this blessed experience. Number two, we must desire the blessing. The Lord will only sanctify those who are seeking for him. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Number three, we have to be determined. Have determination. Number four, we have to have faith. Acts 15, 9, purifying their hearts by faith. Number five, we have to have absolute surrender. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how we receive. We have to have a determination that we're going to press into God and we're going to receive all that God has for us as his people. Then last is this, the power of sanctification. We talked about the need, the means, but what is the power of sanctification? Holiness is powerful. Let me tell you about somebody that lives a holy life. Their life will bring conviction. If you're not living right and you get around them, you get under conviction. Listen to this, Psalms 93, 5, your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Purity and power go together. A.S. Worrell writes, he said, because God is holy, we must be holy, and if we are to live in his presence... See, a pure church will be a powerful church. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The church is powerless to penetrate a city and a neighborhood. Why? Because purity will produce the power of God. And listen, everybody's enamored with power today. You want to walk in power? Purity produces power. You can't have power without purity, and that's what we're trying to do in this day of compromise and wickedness and evil where we've questioned every valid Bible doctrine. We've questioned everything. The Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? The very foundations are shaking today because we've tried to rewrite human history. We've tried to rewrite the laws of God. We've tried to fit them into a culture that is anti-Christ. Because we've got to adapt so that people will come. No, if you want power with God, you've got to have a pure heart before the Lord. Purity produces power. How do I get purity? You just simply get Jesus. It's that easy. The church has to be different. We cannot allow the spirit of the world to creep into the church. We must be different. Jude 1.4 Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Every value that we have is under attack today. And I mean it is like an onslaught. We're trying to rewrite history. What's needed today is a church that will say we're going to press into the Lord and we're going to cry out to God. We're going to be a people who live a pure holy life before him. Not a perfect life. We're not going to hold ourselves up as perfect. We're going to lift up the one who is perfect. The Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you I'm not perfect but I have a savior. Hallelujah. Who knows how to forgive, how to redeem, and how to restore. And that's the Savior we've got to present to this world. Holiness is needed. A separated life under the Lord is a powerful witness. A holy life in an unholy world will be a powerful thing in a world that's filled with corruption and evil. We need to live holy. Let let us stand.